Welcome to the Empire Files podcast. This is Abby Martin. This is the audio version of each episode of the Empire Files hosted on Telesaur English. You can watch every episode at theempirefiles.tv. While in Venezuela, I had an intense experience at an opposition protest, which received wide coverage in the Western press. So I wanted to see the demonstrations that get virtually no coverage, those by government supporters. The atmosphere was quite different. Oligarchs, listen to this. Always, always Hugo Rafael Chavez Frias will be in our hearts. He will be in our lives, our presence, our air. I found the depiction of a widely hated government was a distortion. If Western media and human rights groups consider the voices of anti-government Venezuelans as golden, why are these millions of voices considered to have no value? The opposition's grievances are well reported. Who is to blame for what's going on? Wow, el gobierno. Únicamente al gobierno. The government, only the government. We want to live. We want to shop freely, but they have us tied. Insecurity. Look, before you walked freely, look at this. It is awful. Most of all, economics, work. There is no work. I'm a person who works in tourism, and look, I do not know what to do. Tell me, what do I do? I will not live on minimum wage. I'm a woman, 54 years old, and I've never seen a situation like this. In addition, I've always felt like there was injustice. When there was an inflation rate of 100% per year in terms of real estate, which was the highest in the market, we felt that the situation was difficult. Our rights have been violated. There's no written press. Media outlets are self-censoring out of fear. They are subdued by this dictatorship. You don't know that when you come out of your home. As a member of the press, what's the worst thing that you've seen that's been like a repression on behalf of the military? The, the censor, like the censorship all over. Venezuelan opposition politicians and human rights organizations often bemoan the lack of critical media against the government inside Venezuela. The people have access to the internet and social media, including Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. But what about the local press? When I was walking around Caracas, I was surprised to see many adversarial pro-opposition publications being sold at newsstands. One thing that we're told in America is that the press in Venezuela is completely controlled by the government. So I went to a couple newsstands and bought up every paper that I could find, and surprisingly, the vast majority were not. Uh, let's take a look at them. Ultimas Noticias, it says, uh, so far 1,200 buildings have been destroyed. Um, I'm told that this is a neutral paper and that some days it has pro-opposition stuff, some days it has pro-government stuff, so this is a pretty neutral paper. This one's called Diario Villa. It says, public power should condemn the violence. It also talks about the young man who was burned alive. And it also says, um, the opposition is provoking a civil war. So that's Diario Villa, a leftist paper. Another leftist paper. It says, Maduro, we're going to give constitutional rights to the missions Chavez gave us. And it shows the pro-Chavez march, the huge one that was mostly ignored by opposition people and by Western press. So this is another leftist paper. The other four are completely anti-government papers, all opposition papers. The first one, La Razón. It says, sovereign assembly, sovereign bullshit. Um, it says, the coup continues. People do not want their speech to be stolen. The next one. 
Las Verdades de Miguel. So on the front of this one, it says, stop the violence. It basically insinuates that police are causing all the violence. It says, we're brothers, right? Depicting the protesters as totally peaceful guitar players. Who knew? Um, amazing. And then you have Zeta which is uh, another opposition paper. It, it portrays Padrino as some um, dictator. Padrino's the head of the National Guard here. He looks like Pinochet in this photo. And it's essentially saying the blood is on his hands, right? Todo está en sus manos. Um, really, really amazing here. And on the back of the paper, it shows a young journalist, 27 years old, who says he died for the liberty of Caracas. Incredible. Talqual, which is uh, the most shocking one of all, perhaps. It says Maduro von 43 victimas. It's already been 43 victims, essentially all Maduro's fault. Well, we've seen the breakdown. We know, you know, we know the truth there. So, and then of course you see other stories where it's talking about government corruption, Maduro receiving illegal funds, etc. So, out of the seven papers, four are anti-government. Two are pro-government and one is neutral, we go either way. So it looks like the press is not as controlled as we think. The next day, I even saw a different paper with the most outrageous headline of all. Trump must take care of Maduro. Television ownership is similar to print media. The Committee to Protect Journalists claims nearly all TV stations in Venezuela are either controlled or allied with the government of Nicolas Maduro. That is blatantly untrue. According to the Center for Economic and Policy Research, private TV media captures between 74% and 92% of the country. A 2013 Nielsen ranking found state TV captured as little as 8.4% of people tuning in. One of Venezuela's biggest TV stations is Venevision, owned by right-wing billionaire Gustavo Cisneros. Aside from the free press, another focus of strife in Venezuela is food shortages. The country's depicted on the brink of famine, with mass starvation, where people are even going as far as breaking into zoos to eat the animals. It is a very difficult situation for all Venezuelans because corruption is so brutal that ordinary people, hardworking people, have nothing to eat. They can't get by. Every day is worse. Hunger, misery, people die of starvation. We are on the brink of famine. The refrigerators in the houses of us Venezuelans who do not have dollars are empty. We cannot eat. Food is a luxury now. People have told us that their fridges are empty, they can't buy anything, they live in a dictatorship. I mean, is that true? Well, as a Venezuelan, I must say today, food has been a little scarce, and this is due to the economic war led by the opposition and the private businesses. They don't cooperate at all. There is food in Venezuela. It's just very expensive. Let them come. Let them visit Venezuelan soil so they can see how people eat three meals a day. Lunch, dinner, and breakfast. Over here, you are guaranteed three meals. The children are guaranteed meals free of cost. Free education, free university, free health care. Well, actually, the people who live in Venezuela are the ones who can see this situation. And I, as an inhabitant of this nation, I tell you this is absolutely false. Because you can see in restaurants in Las Mercedes, the most luxurious restaurants here are full of people. And if we're really going through that situation, these restaurants would be empty. And there would be people begging for food in the streets. And that is not what's happening here. 
What the big media has done is distort all the information. Not everything is as it seems in the mainstream media. I have family in Colombia. Practically every day they write me, come live here. But I tell them, no, listen, it's not how they paint it over there. We're not dying of hunger here. We are definitely in an economic war because how is it possible that you can go to a small market in the East and you can get anything? But when you go to a supermarket in the West, the bigger grocery chains, and they don't have anything. Venezuelans are experiencing food shortages, with the majority of people saying they eat less and worse now than in recent years. The lines that people wait hours in are not simply to buy food in general. They're mostly to buy bread due to the scarcity of flour. But with so many claims of empty shelves, I went to several supermarkets around the city with a hidden camera. So we just went to um, about five different supermarkets and the shelves were fully, fully stocked. And this is all types of neighborhoods, all types of classes. The shelves were stocked with everything from Nestle chocolate, uh, all Coca-Cola products, uh, fish, meat, vegetables, fruit. Um, although it is true, I did not find toilet paper at any of the stores. There's a multitude of other paper products from Kleenex to paper towels to napkins. So while it is true that there are shortages, it seems like you are very able to find things for everyday life, uh, no problem. I sat down with economist Pascalina Curzio to understand the issue of scarcity and other economic problems. Sí, bueno, en primer lugar, eh, hablamos, nosotros hablamos más que de una crisis económica generalizada. Well, in the first place, it's more than a generalized crisis. We call it an economic war. And the reason for this is that if we really had a general economic crisis, Venezuela would not be registering the high levels of production that it has. Venezuela in the last four years has maintained a GDP per capita 9% higher than in the last 30 years. So we cannot call it a generalized economic crisis. What we see is that there are several aggressions focused on affecting the entire population, and it has to do with market manipulation and of the economy as a whole. Above all, it is affecting currency. So there seems to be an abundance of all types of food, paper products like napkins, Kleenex, yet of course there's main staples that are a huge shortages, right? Toilet paper, namely, um, things like oil, flour. How is that possible? How could there be such an abundance of paper products, yet no toilet paper? This is precisely part of what I'm referring to, the difference between economic crisis and economic warfare. These products are very particular, and they have very specific characteristics. They are responsible for food lines and even generate illegal markets due to the scarcity being caused. These are highly consumed products, particularly by Venezuelans. There are some foods, for example, like pre-cooked corn flour. It's the first on the list of items most consumed by Venezuelans. These are associated with life and daily activities, to health in the case of medicines. And aside from that, they have an extra feature. The production and distribution of these items, in some cases also the exporting, is the responsibility of major corporations, 
which constitute themselves as oligopolies. This is why oranges, for example, and plantains are highly consumed by Venezuelans and they have not been absent in the Venezuelan diet. These products, fruits and vegetables, are produced by a large number of producers, farm workers, with no capacity to form a cartel, haven't come up short. Nevertheless, these others are products under the control of huge monopolies with the capacity to behave like a cartel. Same goes for the products for personal hygiene. Toilet paper, baby diapers, and sanitary napkins are emblematic for its high consumption affecting the households, but are produced by two or three private companies nationally. The main excuse from these corporations for not keeping up with production is that the government doesn't give them dollars. Like Polar, the largest privately owned company in Venezuela, which is also the largest food manufacturer. According to the Minister of Agriculture, Polar is responsible for eight of the main items in Venezuela's food basket, such as butter and oil, and 62% of the corn flour used for making arepas, the country's most popular dish. Polar CEO, billionaire Lorenzo Mendoza, is an open member of the opposition who's been accused of hoarding essential goods. A leaked audio recording revealed Mendoza was secretly plotting with the IMF for intervention. And what is your response to people who say that it's the government's fault for, for the shortage because they are setting the price controls? One of the arguments, for example, is the government is responsible for scarcity, for not delivering dollars to the private enterprises to import goods or for the final product. But when you start analyzing the foreign currency allocation for these private companies since 2013, $300 billion has been allocated for these importing companies, in particular for these scarce goods. And also after 2013, we started seeing this phenomenon. Foreign currency has been allocated for the health industry as well as the food industry. Hence, this argument seems false. On the other hand, they also claim that the government is to blame due to the price controls. They say this is a failed socialist model, where the state intervenes and controls. Now, this has many aspects. First, if this was the case and companies could not afford the production costs, one wonders how these products are available on the black market. If they could not actually produce or import these raw materials, you wouldn't find the products in the illegal markets. So this is not a cost problem or a result of price controls. There are even hikes in prices. For example, in the last year, the price of pre-cooked corn flour has been increased by 3,700%. 3,700% in only a year. And this is a lot more than the inflation rate. We guess the company covers the cost with this adjustment. Nevertheless, this flour is not present in regular markets, but in the black market. So in this case, we can't consider valid the argument of controls because the product is produced, it is imported. You find it in the illegal markets and its price has been updated. With the black market being responsible for inflation, I wanted to find out how prevalent a legal currency exchange was. So we wore hidden cameras around downtown Caracas, and within just minutes, we were approached and offered an illegal exchange. But we were quickly caught. I don't know. I don't know. He wants to see the gallery. That one. Conscious and to be. So, I don't, I don't know if you... We should go. Okay. So, we just got caught filming, uh, trying to exchange money on the black market. Uh, the guy actually threatened to beat us up. Um, but what happened is that we found out that the exchange rate is even higher than we thought. He was offering us 6,000 bolivars for every U.S. dollar. So 120,000 bolivars for 20 U.S. dollars. That's almost the minimum wage for a month for an average Venezuelan. 
What they had offered us, 6,000 bolivars per dollar, was over six times the legal exchange rate that day. Let's talk about the black market. Uh, for example, you can get over six times more bolivars exchanging dollars on the black market. I mean, this is insane. I've never heard of anything so, <laughs> you know, disproportionate. Um, I know that there's black markets that exist, but I've never heard of a dual economy like the one that exists in Venezuela. What factors led to this? Ese mercado negro, el valor de la moneda en el mercado negro. Well, the value of foreign currency in the black market. We have said this is a totally manipulated value, done in an arbitrary and disproportionate manner. It is manipulated by means of certain websites. The main market source for the Bolivar's exchange rate is a website called Dollar Today, run by a right-wing former Venezuelan colonel who moved to the U.S. after helping lead the failed coup against Chavez in 2002. It does not correspond to any economic variable. One of the main elements that leads to strengthening a currency is the quantity of international reserves. When we look at this relationship, we found that international reserves have not fallen to a proportion as to explain these levels of illegal exchange. And the main reason is because the foreign currency in Venezuela, 95% of it comes from our oil revenue. Private companies here do not produce a foreign currency income. So, the state is owner and controller of the foreign currency, and it controls its allocation. But since 2007, and a lot more intense since 2013, there has been manipulation in the way explained before. The problem with the manipulation of such an exchange type is that it ends up drawing the internal prices of the economy, and this is how inflation is generated. Who will get a hold of this currency in a free market? Well, those who have greater capital. One quick question also about the black market. It seems like week after week it's, it's escalating so quickly to the pace where it can be a thousand more bolivars just week to week. I mean, how does it escalate so quickly like that? That doesn't have an economic explanation. Between October and November and the start of December 2016, the rate went from 2,000 to 400 bolivars per dollar in less than a month. At that time, if there was an economic explanation, there would have been a disaster in the economy or the international reserves would have fallen abruptly. But none of that happened. There is no economic reason. Whatever the reason or cause, there is a crisis in Venezuela. And many world powers are asserting that foreign intervention is the solution. I wanted to know if Venezuelans agreed. What do you say to the, the U.S. who says you need our help from our government to save Venezuela? Wow, una pregunta bastante. A good question. You know, Venezuelans do not read. They do not inform themselves. And well, if there is help, we would accept it. As a Venezuelan, for the good of us, for our future, for our children, I would really accept it. Particularly, all Venezuelans are asking for international aid because this situation is beyond us. We demand international support and in helping us get rid of this dictatorship. I hope Mr. Trump is true to his words and helps us, all Venezuelans. Trump is a bit out of touch in his speeches. Why would he come and save us? He only wants to get our oil and our riches. He just sees that, and that's why he supposedly wants to save us. There's no need for that. What happened with Allende in 1973 is not going to happen here. What happened with Bishop in Granada will not happen here. What happened with Jacobo Arbenz in Guatemala will not happen here because of the consciousness of the people here. 
We do not need any personality, nor some politician, much less a businessman, to come and save us. The Venezuelans, the revolutionaries, those who believe in this nation, in the opposition or not, we have the skills to get ahead. We know about production because we have large lands, we have a great people, men and women, boys and girls, who are on the land sowing, so that all people in Venezuela have the opportunity to have food. We also have entrepreneurs who are patriotic, who are loyal to this process, and entrepreneurs who believe in the Bolivarian Revolution and are willing to do their part to save the revolution and to save the nation. We do not need any empire, much less a businessman who is only interested in money. He does not care about anything else. Thank you for listening to the Empire Files podcast. If you want to subscribe to our mailing list, please sign up at theempirefiles.tv. We want this show to be a resource for those fighting against empire both here and abroad. Let us know what you think on social media. You can find us on Twitter at Empire Files and Facebook at The Empire Files.